Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Come on. Hey guys, on this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, we get on the phone with Harmon Carson for a early season update and how he's been doing in the woods the first month of the season. He's laid down two bucks, a handful of hogs. He's got a really great story about shooting three hogs uh, Saturday night, two days ago. So we're going to get an update from him, some of his tactics, some of the things that he's trying out this year. He's hunting new property, so we're going to learn a lot today. But before we get started, we need to give a huge thanks to our two sponsors, Steve German's Taxidermy Art, who's the only taxidermist in the state that's made it easier for you to transport your deer back into Louisiana by having a separate drop-off point in Orange, Texas. So you don't have to mess with caping out your deer for deer you want to have mounted this season. And also Cousin Smokehouse, home of the original pork jerky, who has a new flavor out called Cane Fire, which is a little sweet, a little spicy, and is definitely something you want to be carrying in your hunting pack this season. So a big thank you to Steve Germans and Cousin Smokehouse for sponsoring the podcast. We couldn't put this on without you. Let's get started on this week's episode. All right, so we're going to get started here. We have Harmon Carson on the line who has had quite an eventful first month of the season already. Um, thanks for being on for this episode, Harmon. Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're happy to, to get you back on. What we're doing on this episode is we're going to be getting an early season update from Harmon and what his first, uh, what, 30, 35 days of, of bow season have been like for you. You've, uh, you've been off to a, a pretty... I will, I'll say even an accelerated start even for you would would you agree yeah it's been it's been pretty fun man uh, it's honestly unexpected I know we've discussed it before I'm I'm in new property so I wasn't really expecting to have success early on uh, quite quite like this but it's been it's been pretty phenomenal so far so you broke the ice on the second day of the season with a, a big uh, big boar right 
Right. Yeah. Tell tell us about that. So, uh, it, like I said, it's new property. I've I've never hunted, never been on, and so that morning I was able to hunt, and I went in, and basically I I kind of had an area in mind that I that I, I wanted to go, and so I went in there and found two overcup trees, overcup uh, oak trees that were raining acorns uh, right on the edge of this swamp cypress bottom and uh so i I looked at the ground there were you know acorns all over the ground and you could see deer tracks and hog tracks and busted acorn holes and you know it was obviously a feed tree at the time and at the time it was one of the only oak trees that were dropping Mm -hmm. and so early season the overcup oaks drop earlier than almost any other uh, oak tree and so they're not necessarily the preferred oaks, but early season, if it's the only thing there, the animals love them. Yes, yeah, the only and, thing they got. Right, exactly. And uh, so anyway, I found a I found a cypress tree to climb up that I could actually fit my my steps around the base of it, <laughs> and uh, and climb it. And so uh, about an hour or so into the hunt, I heard something crunch and uh looked around the tree and this big boar had snuck right out he'd come in i'm in hunting in that tree saddle and he came in into my blind spot dead on the back side of the tree trunk from me and i I didn't see him coming and when i looked around the tree he was already about 20 yards away and just happened to smell where i had walked in that morning and he got uncomfortable real quick and turned and starts leaving and i shot him at about 30 yards when he was uh you know trying to get out of there and uh yeah so that that started my season off right off the bat it was pretty pretty cool hunt nice man that's awesome that was a big that was a really big pig yeah he was probably pushing 230 um i knew he was big but i didn't realize how how big until i actually went up you know found him and i saw his cutters on him and man he had some some big old gnarly teeth yeah no doubt that was it that was a big pig now um I don't think you and I have ever talked about this, but uh, are you are you dragging these pigs out? Are you leaving them laid? Do you bring them somewhere else and dump them, or you clean them? What what do you do with them? All of the above. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> it just it depends on my mood, the situation. You know, if I need the meat, if I have room for the meat, if I have somebody lined up to take the meat. Um, you know, it just it just depends on the situation. Um, if I can, I really like to find somebody that needs it, uh, and I'll typically I'll clean it. You know, I one as sick as this might sound, I, I enjoy cleaning animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it's just part of the process for me, uh, and I, I I enjoy it. You know, the more I do it, the better you get, and to me, it just kind of brings the whole situation full circle, and uh. And I, I I just enjoy that part of the process. So a lot of times, you know, uh, I'll clean it, even though it is a pig and they're nasty, I'll clean it for the person, depending on who it is. Uh, if you're perfectly healthy, you're going to clean your own hog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, it, you know, if I can find somebody to give the hogs to, I would, you know, more than be more than happy to do it. Um, that pig there with him being as big as what he was and me having hiked in as far as what I did that day, uh, which wasn't really terribly far it was about three quarters of a mile but it was far enough that i wasn't about to pack out a, a 230 pound boar yeah. uh to get him so uh that one there i actually it's one of those things i you know you hate to do it but at the same time you know uh it's a whole circle of life obviously i would never do this with a deer but there's enough hog running around uh we're 
you know, people do it. Um, but this one, I, I skinned the head out and I, I brought the head back, uh, you know, the, the skull back for, uh, for the tusk. But uh, no, that one there, that one there got left. Uh, he, he'd run far enough into the swamp in an odd spot that I didn't have to, con- you know, be concerned about him messing up my hunting area. Um, but no, if I, if I can get them out and bring them out, uh, I'm bringing them out and trying to find somebody to give them to most of the time. Gotcha. What was it? It was what, about two or three weeks later? Uh, I think you told me you had made 10 or 15 sits in a row without having anything really come into range. Is that right? Yeah. So what are we, it is the, what's today? The fifth, fourth, fourth of November. Today's November 4th. Yeah. Um, thinking back, uh, one, I think I've only had four or five deer in bow range of me all year. Um, so I've seen, I've seen deer scattered out, you know, randomly, um, you know, they're, they'll be too far. They'll get right up on the edge of where I'd want to shoot. And then something will happen. The wind will shift. That's I mean, the, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the wind is swirling this year. It's like been crazy. swirling. Yes, it has. It's, it has been frustrating the fire out of me. I mean, cause one minute it's straight South and then it's, it's North and I mean, literally all over. And it's been a, a royal pain trying to find good spots to set up, but that's messed me up a few times. Um, you know, trying to kill a doe and the wind will shift last minute. And uh, well, that, but, what it's done for me, I've I've had some spots. I don't the not only has it been shifting, but we've had now. I know you're in Northwest Louisiana. I'm in Southeast <laughs> Louisiana. We've been having a lot of west winds, which is odd for us. Um, not even Northwest, just almost straight West or Southwest winds. And, um, I, I didn't, this wasn't intentional, but a lot of my spots that I like to hunt are really bad on a Southwest wind. I can do a South wind or I can do a Southeast wind or I can do any North wind that there is, but you give me a West wind and I'm scratching my head as to where I'm going (laughs) to, where I'm going to hunt that afternoon or that morning, because I I just, I'm, I I never, we don't get that. We don't get that in in the, you know, in the fall or winter time, you know, that's a a spring or a summertime thing. Um, that, that's how I always think about it. But yeah, um, man, that's, that's the beauty of that tree saddle that I hunt in. Uh, I've gone into spots thinking this is where I'm going to be. Uh, this is where I want to hunt. This is the tree I'm planning on getting in. Well, I go in and the wind has shifted and is nowhere close to where I want it. Well, I can still hunt that area. I just have to find a different tree. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've like yesterday evening when I hunted, uh, I went out and I think I climbed, I climbed four different trees before I finally decided to get in my, get in and actually settle in the fifth one. You, climb, uh, you set up, you climbed four trees. Yeah. Like I, I climbed up. I climbed up, you know, and I was fixing to put my platform on and I'm hanging on the side of the tree looking around and the wind will shift. And I'm like, no, this isn't going to work out. Mm. Uh, or, or once I got to my elevation, uh, I was hunting the edge of a ridge. Once I got to my elevation, I just felt like I was going to be too exposed or there was just something about each tree that I didn't like. And then the fifth one, the fifth one, I just ran up cause I was running out of time and yeah. I, I knew it would work. And I wound up, I did have a, a spike come in and stand 15 feet from me. eye level, uh, cause I was on the uh, you know, like I said, on the side of a ridge. And so that worked out, but, uh, it, it took me, took me a little bit to make my decision on where I wanted to hunt. Yeah. Well, so you killed, um, you killed a, a buck a few weeks after that big boar. Uh, was this in the same area that you were hunting or is this a different place? Yeah, that was actually, that was actually the same area. Um, so I'd, I'd gone in 
to uh, hunt a scrape line that I had found uh, that they had, they had just started working some scrapes on the edge of this, uh, the, these ridges on the edge of this thicket. And uh, I slipped in and it was a similar situation actually to what we were just talking about. I went in to hunt a specific tree that I'd already, you know, eyeballed, decided that's where I wanted to be. And um, when I got in there, the wind was wrong. And uh, I was like, man. So I slipped over. I, I, I finally found another tree, you know, standing there. I, I will. I'm meticulous about my stand setup, so I'll stand in one spot for 20 to 30 minutes trying to decide where I wanted to be. So I'm standing there trying to decide what tree I need to be in based on the wind and uh, potential shot opportunities and all that. And uh, and I'm just kind of moving moving very subtly in the in a general area. And I looked out across this bottom. Um, I'm on the edge of a thicket looking out into a cypress bottom and I see a deer standing out there feeding on some oaks or on some acorns. And, uh, and I was like, that's a pretty decent sized body, uh, on that deer. So I grabbed my binoculars and saw it was a, a little buck and I got, and it was, it was getting low light. I got in there late. Uh, we had an uh, event at our church that I was helping my wife with. And, uh, so I, I left that late, got to the woods a lot later than what I was planning and so I was like, you know what, it's this late, this deer, if, as open as what it is, if I try to climb one of these trees, he's for sure going to peg me climbing the side of a tree. Well, not for sure, but, you know, high odds. So I decided I'm just going to see if I can pull this off and make it happen. Uh, he was a young deer, one that had I been up in a tree and he walked by me, I mean, there's there's no way I would have shot the animal. Uh, we just, I just have grown up not shooting younger deer but i told myself if i could pull off a stalk uh <laughs> and and actually pull off getting within longbow range of this deer on the ground he's about to die and uh so i figured out what direction the wind was and uh and i start slipping in but what's funny and i i think this kind of helped me is looking at how the the trees were kind of spread out across the bottom uh picking picking the uh you know picking my route there were some big cypress trees that i knew i could slip along and keep between me and him but there was a big gap of where there wasn't really any trees and i looked at it and i was like man that's gonna be tough right there so i actually grabbed my rattle bag and what i was planning on doing is i was gonna i put my rattle bag in my pocket and i was gonna slip up get as close as i could and then like click that rattle bag together just enough to make him curious and hopefully get him to walk towards me well What's funny is when I was grabbing my rattle bag out of my backpack, it clicked together on accident and <laughs> I froze and looked up at him. And sure enough, I mean, he, he quit eating and raised his head up and looked my direction like very intently. Like, I know that was, I just heard something like that sounded like deer. And, uh, and then he, you know how when <clears throat> they're feeding and then you, they think they hear something, they'll start eating real quick. Like, mm -hmm. let me take a few more quick bites before I go. Well, that's exactly what he did. He started feeding real quick. And I'm like, okay, I need to move because he's fixing to be coming. But sure enough, I slip in and I get to about where I wanted to be. And I guess that was, it was all he could take, you know, from that point on. And he, he actually, he came up and he stopped at a mock scrape that I'd made in that area. And, uh, he checked the scrape, you know, put his, stood up, put his head up in the limb and did all that. And, uh, then he turns and starts walking right to me and he literally walked up within and I'm you know leaning leaning into the the bottom of this big cypress tree and he walked up to 15 yards and when he got to 15 yards and walked behind a tree I start to draw but when he comes out of the back side of the tree I was finishing out my draw so I had to continue drawing maybe three inches well that little bit of movement he saw and he turned he wheeled and 
bounced out to about 28 yards and stopped behind a tree. And as soon as he uh, he he kind of looked back over his shoulder, like I, I thought I just saw something over there. And he took two or three steps out from behind that tree, and I was already at full draw. I, I stayed drawn the whole time, and I and I shot him at 28 yards and watched him fall 50 mm. yards away from where I shot him. So uh, it was really cool. Um, Only really, you. Really cool to do that. Only you, man. Only you. <laughs> That's no, incredible. I'm, I'm sure there's a few folks that have done it. Yeah, <clears throat> maybe. <laughs> so, uh, so what? I know you s- stick with one bow every year, and I know you were hunting with your uh, Hoyt buffalo, right? Wasn't it a buffalo? You had a re- well, that was two years ago. You were hunting with your Hoyt. Yeah. So uh, I have I have four now. I have four like main hunting bows that I I swap back and forth between. Three years ago, it was my Black Widow. Uh, four years ago, I'm sorry, it was my, my Zebo stick longbow. Mm-hmm. Um, two years ago was my Hoyt Buffalo. Last year was my Black Widow. Um, and then this year I've been using a, uh, Craig Archery Falcon X2, I believe mm-hmm. is the model. Uh, it's their three piece longbow and, uh, man, I'm loving that thing so far. That's it's awesome. I, I've, I've been really, really impressed cause I wanted a, a 52, uh, to 53 pound draw, um, at, at my draw length, which is right at 30 inches and, uh, you know, 29 and a half ish inches. And, uh, so I was wanting uh, like a 52, 53 at 30 and, uh, they, they, during the process, it wound up coming out a little light. Um, and it was 48 at, uh, 30 inches and, uh, they were all upset. I was like, man, I don't care. That's fine. You know, it'll be fine. Uh, so anyway, I've been really, really impressed at how flat shooting this bow is with it only being 48 pounds. Uh, I mean, it, that arrow was to that deer covering 28 yards in no time. And the hog I shot was at 30 yards, uh, and it was walking. Mm. And uh, and I got entry and exit uh, on on both of them. That's um, awesome. So I mean, it's I, I've been I've been really impressed with that Craig Archery bow. Well, so you said uh, you you you're hunting with your Zebo stick a couple of years ago, and I'm gonna tell this that story on how I got a Zebo stick. So, um, <laughs> I uh, I remember you telling me about your Zebo stick uh, with the guys in Montana, right? I believe he's in. Uh, Mon- yes. Yeah. Yes. So Zebo sticks uh, longbows are made out in Montana, and um, you are probably well. What we thought you're you were the only person in the state that had one. And you have a three-piece uh, takedown longbow, and um, a little over a year ago, I was I came across a post on Traditional Bow Hunter um, on Facebook, and it was a guy that had a Zebo stick recurve, um, and he wanted to trade a compound for it. And I was like, well, you know, I've got a compound. I don't, I don't need it. I'll uh, I'll trade this guy because I knew it's like eight hundred dollar, nine hundred dollar. Um, longbow or a uh, yeah. and so i ended up meeting this guy um and I, I called you before i met him and i was like man you won't believe this but there's a guy in ponchatoula louisiana has a zebo stick believe it or not can't believe it you know uh he wants to trade for my for my for my um, compound i'm gonna go trade him out and so when i meet him he was kind of a shy quiet very country he was a kid i would say he's maybe 21 22 years old and I remember I asked him, I said, man, how did you find out about 
Zebo stick. They're from Montana. He ordered it brand new, so it wasn't like it had made a circulation of used bows between five right. people and, and ended up in his hands. It was like he called and ordered it and whatever. And I remember calling you before I met up with him. I was like, how funny would it be if this kid bought this bow because you have one? And you're like, no, there's no way. That's not That's not how this is going to happen. And so I'm talking to him. He's like, well, this is what Harmon hunts with. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, did you really buy a custom bow from Montana because Harmon has one? And he was like, yeah, he's he's awesome. He kills everything. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's pretty cool, but I don't, I don't think he's spent nine hundred dollars on a bow <laughs> I've never shot. Cool. Yeah, I don't think he's spent nine hundred dollars on a bow I've never shot before. Cool. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, so I, I still have that. It's a fifty-five pound three-piece recurve, and it's man, that thing. That thing, that thing shoots flat, flat, and fast as could be. That's that's a that's and the, I bought it from. I traded him on a Thursday. I killed a hog with it in Sherburn the next evening in Friday, the the next day. And that thing, um, you were talking about hunting in low light and all that stuff that I, I had, um, picked a kind of a funnel point between a ridge and, um, some, uh, backwater, uh, in a swamp that you could tell it isn't always flooded, but it was flooded then. And, um, so they were kind of forced to the edge of the water to walk through this spot. And about, man, I'm telling you like three or four minutes later in the evening and you wouldn't have been able to see your hand in front of your face and um this big old boar it was my biggest so far probably 150 160 pounds this thing starts walking in and it looks like it looks like a a barbecue pit walking towards <laughs> me it is huge it looks like a 55 barrel 55 gallon drum walking through the woods and there was a point where it was either, like it was this is one of my favorite things about deer hunting in general. I love you've got a million trees in the woods, like maybe two million trees in the woods. I love when you pick the tree that they walk yep. by, the one, like the exact tree. That they, and so this hog was coming straight towards me, and there was a point where it was either going to walk two feet behind my tree or two feet in front of my tree. I don't mean like it was 30 yards out in front of me and I, I slung one out there. I mean, this thing only stopped when he smelled where my bag was laying on the ground before I pulled it up. And I shot that hog straight down, straight down. <laughs> I was watching him through the grating of my deer stand. And, um, that's awesome. That's a man. That's a hard shot. Uh, yeah, straight down. Especially with the trad bow, when you when you have all the, uh, like it, it's it's not super easy with the compound, but no. then when you add, you know, you you double the length of your bow and you have sixty to sixty four inches, depending on what you're using, that you're having to bend over at your waist to make sure that the bottom limb doesn't hit anything. Yeah, that's um, absolutely a tough shot. Uh, speaking of <clears throat> speaking of how, the length of bows, that's something that I always think of when I hear people that oh well, I won't buy you know like my my uh, my prime my compound is thirty five and a quarter inch axle to axle. Okay, that for in the compound world is like a mile long compared to everything. yeah. You got you got the triax is twenty eight inches. PSE just has a twenty a bow that's twenty eight inches. They you got the Halon 
32. You got the Halon uh, with, I think they had one of them that was a 30 inch bow. Um, and so you have people that are, well, 28 inches is the longest I want to be, or 30 inches is the longest I want to be because it's good for hunting out of a tree stand. I'm like, I'm shooting a 64 inch yep. bow. <laughs> hey, what's well, funny, man, when I. When I shot with shot a compound, like I, I've I've been hunting traditional for eight years now. This this is my eighth season, and before man, that's how I was. Like I wanted a bow. Like initially, you know, the shortest bow was uh, thirty two. Well, it started out like thirty five was a short bow. Then it you know it just yeah. gradually stepped down. So then I got I got to where uh, one of my my favorite bows, favorite compounds that I had was a Diamond Hornet. When mm-hmm. uh, back when they were made here in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, before Bowtech bought them out, yeah, it was a Diamond Hornet that was, I believe, it was twenty eight and a half inches axle to axle, and I loved that little bow. I mean, I killed all kinds of critters with it, and it was, I just love. I mean, I'd pull it out, and people were like, "Man, that's a kid's toy," and uh, and I just loved how <laughs> small and compact it was, um, and it wasn't really forgiving, but it made you be a better. Like it made you get you right, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's the benefit of a longer bow is they're more forgiving. Um, that's why your all your competition, um, you know, these the, the folks who are shooting competitions out on the the IBO trails and all you know all these these trails they're shooting thirty four to thirty five plus inch bows mm-hmm. um, because they're more forgiving. You don't very you don't you're not going to see too many you know folks shooting for Hoyt or gold tip or you know any of these big name folks shooting a bow that's 30 inches most of the time most of them are going to have a longer bow because it's more forgiving but it's more for, uh, yeah more i was forgiving. the same way man i'm like yes i, I wanted a short bow it's more forgiving and the obviously with a longer axle to axle you've got um a less drastic string angle uh yeah for um for you know when you're at full draw that thing isn't you know there's i remember when the creed xs came out people were having trouble um, trying to align their peep sight um, because it was such an extreme um, uh, string angle, and and the other thing is it, it puts it puts the knock in a bind. If you ever, I don't know, I know you haven't shot uh, compounds in a while, but all these guys out here listening that are shooting anything under thirty inches, when you're at full draw, to you know pull your head back and take a look at at how cramped your knock is. Um, in between your D loops, your D loop knots. Well, that was that was part of the reason why uh, people started shooting D loops. Yeah, is because when you when you were clipping directly onto the string, uh, you know, used to you have your brass knock set, then you clip your knock on uh, either. Uh, most folks below that I it. knew uh, would would clip it on below, um, and then you put your release on below that. Mm-hmm. And when the shorter the bow got, the more string pinch you got. So at full draw, a lot of folks were having issues where the knock was actually being pushed off of the string. Yeah. And uh, and so that's that's that was part of the reason why people even started shooting D loops to begin with. Yeah. Uh, was because of the shorter axle to axle bows. Yeah. Well, let's let's bring it back. So you, you you're shooting um, your Craig Archery bow now, and and. To give them a plug, they're some of the greatest people on the planet. They are, man. Super I mean, nice. The only thing that I would warn you about the Craigs is that if you go there, you better not have anything else that you need to do that afternoon. <laughs> right. Okay, because you you might think that you're only going to stop in there for like 30 minutes or an hour, and then all of a sudden your wife's calling you, asking you what time you'll be home, and if you're going to be home for dinner, and it's been six hours. Um, yeah, 
I mean, because that's exactly what happened. I mean, I have done that. I don't have. I've probably done five or six, five or six times. I've done that where I've gone to see Mr. Pat Craig at his shop, and it's just a, it's just a time warp, man. Um, yeah. You know, when you're around people that are that nice and caring and want you to be successful and enjoy they're just genuine they're genuine so people. yeah they're so genuine it's you know time i hate to say it, it it speeds up i wish it stopped but it speeds up because yeah i mean you just you lo- it's like being in a casino there's no windows or clocks you don't know what time <laughs> it is but you're having a great time and you, you don't want to leave and so, yep. um, but that and the fact that they'll let you shoot any damn bow that they have in the building. And then also they have a full 3D range in the backyard. So it's quite uh, an adult playground for people that are wanting to um, get into traditional hunting. Um, and, then, yeah. and then also another thing I'll tell you, any, anybody that is listening that is considering either getting into traditional bow hunting or just wants to uh, get away from you could say stock bows, you know, like, uh, cut, um, production bows, the Craigs will build you any combination of bow how, uh, that you want. All right. Any wood combination, they'll shape it to fix your hand. Um, any length, poundage, color, weight, um, you name it, engraving, anything you want on it, they'll build it exactly for you. And they, I, I, I don't want to speak for them for their prices, but I think they're only around the four to five hundred dollar range, which for a custom bow is a phenomenal price. Um, yeah, and, and they're local. They're in um, they're in Pineville, Louisiana, so they're right in the middle, right, right in the middle of the state. So um, I, I I wanted to ask you about your bow because I know you're having a lot of success with it this year, um, and uh, you know they're great people, and I know that they um, they're excited that you're being. Uh, that you're having such success this season. So um, if you, if anybody out there is looking for a new bow um, and is and is looking to get something custom or maybe an upgrade from what you are maybe started with and you want something that fits you and only you, uh, give them a call at, uh, at Craig Archery. They're they're great. So absolutely. Um, well, let's. So we we're through two animals so far. We've got a few more to go. <laughs> um, and so tell me tell me about your second buck of the season, um, and then after that we're gonna we're gonna talk about yesterday and <laughs> the the type of thing that only happens to you. So tell us about your second. <laughs> tell us about your second buck. So <clears throat> the second deer uh, I killed this past Tuesday, and it was a uh, it was one of those I hadn't been in the woods uh, in a few days. Uh, you know I've, I'm a taxidermist, so obviously I got to spend as much time in my shop as what I can. And that morning I decided, you know, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to slip out, make a quick hunt, check some cameras, just kind of see what's going on in the woods. And you know, it was it was. I think that was right before a front was coming in, maybe. Yeah. Um, there was something with the weather. I forget exactly what it was. Um, and I know it was six days after a full moon. So um, I'm I'm big on hunting uh, six days before, three days before, three days after, and six days after a full moon. Like, I, that, that those are, like, key uh, deer activity uh, days that I've, I've noticed. And um, so, anyway, I, I knew I wanted to hunt that day. So that morning – uh, I knew it was going to be a quick hunt because I had a lot to do in the shop. So I went out and I just went to a feed tree, uh, an oak tree that I knew was raining acorns. And 
I, I climbed the tree and I hunted and the whole time I'm sitting there, it looked, you know, there was deer tracks on the ground. There were busted acorn holes, uh, you know, just the caps laying there and you could tell animals had been in there feeding, but it just didn't, it just didn't have that feel right feeling. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but, uh, I'm big on, I'm big on being confident and, you know, if the place feels right, it's it. And if not, then I, I probably need to be somewhere else. And, uh, so when I climbed down, I, I climbed down a little early and, uh, I walked to, I wanted to go check a mock scrape that I'd made, uh, two weeks prior that, um, you know, that I had hunted before. So I walked over and uh, checked this, check the scrape out well when i got up to it when i made it i made it about the size of a dinner plate you know 12 to 15 inches maybe um a big dinner plate and uh (laughs) so uh when i walked up to it i was just like oh my gosh i mean it was probably three by four foot i mean just a massive massive scrape and uh and i was like what in the world like and it was fresh uh that's what it had it had been raining and so uh it, it being like freshly destroyed, it made me know that, or let me know that whatever had done that had done that that night mm-hmm. uh, or, or that morning, potentially even while I was sitting up in a tree, a hundred, uh, 120 yards away. So, um, I was like, okay, so the, the ground was destroyed and there were big, fresh, like buck droppings beside within, within 10 feet of the scrape. Uh, and buck droppings tend to be clumps. Um, the, the, they're not, pelletized as much and this is just a rule of thumb i mean obviously it depends on uh, what the animal is eating their digestive situation at the time but in general big mature bucks tend to have uh poop that comes out in clumps rather mm-hmm. than pellets and uh and so the the scrape being torn up and then seeing these clumps of droppings beside it let me know obviously this was a, a more mature buck so anytime I find a scrape like that, I always, I check the wind and then I head dead downwind of that scrape looking for a rub. Uh, because a lot of times uh, the deer will come in and within 75 yards or so of a big scrape, you'll find a rub and or another scrape or something along those lines. And that one, that rub is what I typically hunt because that's where the bucks come in to ch- uh, scent check that scrape. And so hmm. they'll, they'll come in a lot of times and stop at that rub. And sometimes they won't ever actually go up to the scrape. They'll just come in, uh, you know, scent check the rub, smell, uh, you know, because, again, they're downwind of the big scrape. Uh, they'll smell and, and scent check the scrape, and then they'll keep on going. Uh, and if there's something in the scrape, then from that rub, they'll hook and, and come there, you know, make their way up to it and recheck it or whatever. And uh, so I, I found the scrape. I turned, figured out what direction the wind was, and took off downwind. I walked about 50 yards and I found another massive scrape that was not there just a few days before. And, uh, and I was like, okay, so, you know, that, that let me know somebody was agitated or frustrated, mm-hmm. uh, one or one or both. And, uh, so again, I keep on walking downwind. Well, when I walked downwind, I, I basically walked into the edge of a cypress thicket. Uh, it wasn't far from floodwater that had come up, um, a bayou right there. So when I walked in, I found, uh, a faint trail leaving the scrape and then a faint cross trail, uh, basically an intersection about 50 yards further in from that scrape, but all the rut activity shut off. Like I, I didn't find another rub. I didn't find another scrape or anything. Uh, and that second scrape had a one, uh, another big fresh pile of droppings. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, this is the last rut sign that I found downwind. So I'm going to hunt this scrape uh, rather than further in. So, I walked back to that scrape, 
I looked around, I found a tree downwind of that scrape where I wanted to be. And I, and I got out of there. So, I mean, all this, all this didn't take, you know, 20 minutes to, to, to look around and, and figure out where I wanted to be that evening. And then I'm, you know, I'm hoofing it, uh, trying to get back to work to, and be a responsible adult and, you know, get back to work. <laughs> and, uh, so I came back to work, worked all day. Um, I had customers in my shop all the way up till five and, uh, a little after five. And so I'm, it was at that point where I was almost like, you know, this is kind of pushing it. I might not need to hunt this evening. Um, but when they, you know, they were started wrapping it up and they were backing out of my, out of my driveway around five Oh five. And when they were backing up, man, I was slipping out the back door, sprinting to the house to go get, uh, my camo and, and bow and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, so like they were, I could, I could still see them driving off and I was, I was already, you know, grabbing my camo. And, uh, so I, I scrambled basically, did everything I could to get back in the woods just as fast as I could. And, uh, so I, I got back in and I, as I'm, as I'm walking in, I checked the wind, made sure the wind was still good. And, uh, which surprisingly it still was. And, uh, so I, I slipped in, I climbed up the tree. Um, you know, this was a, a tree saddle situation still. So I run up the tree, uh, you know, get tethered off. I hang my bow, I hang my backpack, I grabbed the can, you know, the Primo's can called the doe bleed out of my backpack and I bleeded three times um I, I i like to do it one to three times kind of spaced out if i do more than one uh so i i did it about three times and uh i had some chocolate in my pocket some halloween candy because it was a day before halloween um <laughs> i had some chocolate in my pocket that i pulled out and i was like this is gonna melt because it was hot that evening and i was like i better go ahead and eat this so i'm i'm eating that chocolate and i heard uh i heard footsteps like coming up out of the swamp and i'm like what in the world? And I looked around the tree trunk and this like stud buck was walking in on a beeline. I mean, he was wow. looking, he, he apparently, I don't know whether he was bedded out there in that thicket or whether he just happened to be cruising. And I just happened to slip in just before him. Um, I don't really know the situation. All I know is he heard my bleats and he was coming. I mean, literally within minutes of me being, being in the tree, he was on top of me. Wow. And, uh, so I, I, you know, turn my GoPro on and grab my bow. He walks in, stops at about 22 yards, and I go to full draw. Like, I had a little bitty gap, and he was barely quartering away. And uh, he was actually pointing towards the scrape, like he was fixing to walk over and check the scrape that I was sitting over. And he stopped, and I was like, you know what? I better, I better take this shot right now because I had a clump of brush, and had he – you know, I, I didn't really know what direction he was going to go and it could have, it could have gone bad, you know, and I'm, I'm real big about taking the first opportunity I get. Uh, it's just a, a habit I've, I've ingrained in myself over the years from bow hunting. First shot opportunity I get, I'm taking. And, um, so he stopped in this little bitty hole. I come to full draw. Well, about the time I, I get to full draw, he throws his head up and starts raking the branch that he stopped in front of and he proceeds to make a scrape 10 feet from where this other scrape already is hmm. so he and something like we don't we don't typically get to see activity from mature bucks in broad daylight in louisiana no and something in me man just wanted i just wanted to watch him. like it was one of those deals where you know don't rush this moment just watch watch him for a minute you know watch him do his thing so i'm i'm at full draw i'd taken my eyes off of where i wanted to shoot and i'm looking at his head you know and i'm watching him 
rake the tree. He throws his hoof out. He paws the ground once, and he throws his hoof out to, to paw the ground twice. And I'm like, okay, that's enough enjoyment. <laughs> and that was all I could take. Release. Was, yeah, release. Well, the pro- and this is a, a key thing for any new bow hunter, experienced bow hunter, whoever. If you bow hunt, listen to what I'm fixing to say. Once you engage your shot sequence, do not take your eyes off of where you want the arrow to go. Mm-hmm. I almost made a mistake. So, and it's even more critical with the trad bow because you don't have sights. You know, your 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 brain is doing the uh, the calculations for you. Mm-hmm. So, I came to full draw, was burning the hole right where I wanted the arrow to go. The deer starts making a scrape, and I get. Uh, what's the word enthralled or, uh, you know, caught up in the moment where I'm like, let me watch this animal do his thing. And he starts making a scrape. And, uh, and then I'm like, you know, my, my kill trigger goes off and I'm like, no, nope, that's enough. So I kind of, I just glance back at where I want to shoot and I release the string and I never let my brain recalculate and never actually resettled in where I needed to be settled in at. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I basically watched what he was doing, glanced back where I wanted to shoot and released when I released, I remember seeing that arrow start about halfway to the deer. I realized it was not going where I was looking, and it's veering off to the left. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Dude, I dead centered that deer in his neck. Like, really? square in the neck. It looked like somebody hit him in the back of the head with a two-by-four. Like, I hit him in the neck. I spined him. He did a front flip and, and started twitching. Oh, like, wow. I I purely got lucky. Like, I, I, I messed up, honestly. It was a... It was a bad shot uh, because I did not pay attention to what I, you know, I, I, I rushed. Uh, it was just, you know, I, I didn't do what I knew I was supposed to do. I lost focus and uh, during that shot sequence, and I got lucky. You know, the good Lord, the good Lord smiled on me because when I released, that arrow was not going anywhere close to where it was supposed to. And thank God it went to the left and not to the right where it would have been a gut shot. Um, you know, and I, I did centered his neck and spined him and dropped him right there. Goodness gracious. Uh, that yeah, is so within within four minutes of me climbing a tree, literally four minutes later, I had a dead buck laying on the ground twenty two yards away. I still <laughs> I still have not had this happen to me yet. I hear about this, like you know, AJ Daigle was hunting in Georgia this morning. Went I in, read that. I went that. into <laughs> public land in Georgia, is hunting from the ground, makes a ground blind out of some limbs he kind of crosses in front of him and sits on a chair and kills a very respectable buck five minutes in and here i am and i'm like when is this gonna happen to me when am i going to when am i gonna you know surprise my wife an hour after leaving by coming home with an animal you know right this is never it, it just has not ever happened to me i have it's like had, you walk in and she says did you forget something exactly <laughs> oh i i mean i i am I, I do have to say one of the things that i feel makes us bow hunters is the fact that we all have a lot of respect for fellow bow hunters and their success but i gotta tell you i get unattractively jealous of people that sit in a tree for seconds and then kill a deer you know with a bow it drives me crazy i that is that is it's one thing that i'm like come on man when is this gonna happen to me it hasn't happened yet you know and then here you are one you were telling me your story about your customers leaving and and uh you're sneaking out the back door it's five o'clock you're going hunting right um yeah 
You didn't take a shower. You didn't. Uh, you you just left the your taxidermy studio, which smells like you know hide and formaldehyde, and <laughs> and and you just go kill a mature buck, you know, real quick, you know, like so. So yeah, I was I was happy, but not as happy as usual for you on this particular one because mainly because I'm just waiting for this to happen to me where I can just climb up in a tree and shoot something within a couple minutes, you know. Um, there's nothing, there's nothing I want more than that at this point in time. So, um, so it'll, it'll happen eventually. I've got, I've got a question for you about mock scrapes. People listening might have the same question. When you're making a mock scrape, what are you doing? Are you, are you using any sort of scent? Are you just breaking branches and kicking leaves out over? What are you doing? So the mock scrape is a, is a, it's been a, experiment i've been doing it for years and i've kind of started figuring out what to do um so you can't just put them anywhere i mean obviously it needs to be somewhere a deer would naturally want Mm -hmm. to make a scrape and i mean if you bow hunted or hunted in general you kind of have an idea obviously typically you want a low-hanging branch or something that something at least within distance of them being able to stand on their hind legs and, you know, rake the, you know, get their head up in the limb. Um, typically I like to have them, you know, five feet off the ground, uh, four feet off the ground or so. And it needs to be a longer travel path, you know, a natural spot for, uh, a deer to make a scrape. You know, if, if you're in a brushy area, you don't just pick some random limb and make a scrape. I mean, it needs to be, it needs to be natural. Um, so, I, this was a the point of a ridge uh, at the and the, the ridge kind of hooked around and there was a draw. It's kind of hard to explain, but it's a killer funnel like where where the situation where this was and there were there were deer tracks on the ground. I knew there were uh, there were rubs close by and obviously that told me uh, and there were you know deer tracks or whatnot. There was uh, acorns there, so I mean I knew deer were in the area. There were rubs there, so obviously there were bucks in the area, and a couple of them were like you know two two inches in diameter. So I knew it was just a year and a half old buck. Um, so I made uh, a scrape. Sometimes I use a stick. Um, most of the time I just scrape it out with my foot. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, just with my boot. I'll I'll kick out a spot. Uh, I don't know, about 15 inch, about a 15 inch circle or so, uh, sometimes bigger. It just depends. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll make a really big one. Um, and it just kind of depends on the sign that I'm finding, uh, what time of year later in the year, I tend to make a bigger one just, you know, here in the rut. And, uh, and what the whole purpose of them is you're trying to tick somebody off. You're trying to, you know, somebody's come in, you're trying to let them think somebody's come in and trying to steal their girl at the bar, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, like, so I, I come in and I make my mock scrape. Well, when somebody comes in just to go hang out, you know, they're just going over to eat some acorns on the ground or just happen to walk by. And all of a sudden they see, you know, they see the sign and they smell the ground and, you know, basically they've been challenged. Well, it'll tick them off. I mean, they'll get, they'll get mad. And uh, so sometimes they'll re they'll check, recheck your scrape. And then uh, a lot of times what uh, deer like to do is they'll go right beside the scrape that's there and they'll make their own. Like, hmm. you know, like this isn't just your tree, it's mine too, you know. So they'll make their own. And uh, so if there's already a scrape there, uh, what I like to do, if I find a scrape, I will – if, if the scrape is already there, like a deer made it, I will not use my foot. I always use uh, – I typically always use a stick. Um, if it's a new one, then I'll use my foot. 
I don't know if it makes a difference. It's just what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if it's a one that a deer's already made, I scrape it out. I refreshen it with uh, scent, and then I will go over about 10 feet uh, or so, sometimes closer, and I'll make another one, sometimes even bigger, and I'll tear the ground up even more because it's not just a visual thing. I mean, you're trying to get the full effect. You're trying to get the dirt scent stirred up because, um, I mean, that that's something that attracts them, you know. So you're you're trying to get all all the smells and everything and keep it as natural as I can. So the scent that I use, and it's one of the only scents, um, there, there's only really two scents that I've used that I have consistently seen results from. Uh, and one of them is active scrape. Um, I don't use it in a dripper. Um, I does the dripper, um, the active scrape dripper that is supposed to keep a scrape fresh. And, uh, and it, it works pretty good. Uh, it's just not how I like to use it because I move around so much. Um, it doesn't really, wouldn't really benefit me to hang it and have it dripping on the same scrape all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because deer, deer move so often um that i I don't i don't like tying myself to a specific spot um so what i do is usually i will i'll get that active scrape and it comes in a four ounce bottle and i will basically dribble the the liquid through the the licking branch through the you want it on uh, on the leaves, not just the twigs, if possible, something that's going to hold, hold the scent and disperse the scent well. Hmm. So I will, uh, you know, dribble it through the leaves and let that drip down into the dirt. So you want it on the limb and you want it on the dirt. And, uh, that way there's, you know, it's natural. Uh, what I've done re- and I, that works well. You tend to waste a good bit like that because I put a good bit out. I mean, you're, you're it's, it's a scent for a reason, you know, you don't want just a barely, barely enough. So, I try to put a little, probably more than what they intend. Um, so what I've recently done is I've actually got a small spray bottle um, and I've turned mine into a spray. Um, that way I get more coverage. Uh, you know, it sticks. You, you've got more particles, more yeah. scent particles on more more area. And uh, and I'll sometimes actually spray it on like once I climb up in the tree, uh, whatever tree I'm in, sometimes I'll spray it on the limbs beside me just to have, uh, you know, downwind, obviously, uh, just to have uh, a little bit of a little bit of that scent dispersal through the air. Um, but that's that's one of the scents that I really like to use on scrapes. And, uh, and it, it so far has been working really, really well. That's great, man. Well, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you that because you've been talking about mock scrapes and um, I, I know people are probably uh, curious in it. There, there's um. There's a lot of uh, gimmicky products out there these days. Um, yeah. You know, there's some stuff. I don't even remember who makes it, but it's like green slime that you put on a tree, and it's supposed to make them want to rub it or something. It looks like <laughs> it looks like the stuff you would fill your tire with, to uh, like tire slime <laughs> or something. But um, you know, we we all have uh, we all have different opinions on things, and so it's good to hear from somebody on something that has worked for them consistently uh, might work for somebody else. You know. Um, yeah. So and scrapes scrapes are funny, man. Like I, they they are my favorite thing to hunt. Period. Um, but well, scrapes and rubs. Um, but I just love hunting over scrapes uh and the the deal is people will hunt scrapes and you can't be sloppy you can't be careless about a scrape you've got to play the wind because the whole purpose of a scrape is for scent period like deer aren't going there for looking i mean obviously it it looks like a scrape but they're going in there and they are putting their scent there whether it's their uh their uh 
uh, what's it, the, the preorbital, uh, you know, up there in their forehead glands, putting their scent in the limb, uh, them chewing on the branch, them peeing in their hocks and, uh, you know, getting the, getting the scent, like everything about a scrape is scent. So if you go in there and you, you hunt it sloppy, you're wasting your time. I mean, you can't, you've got to be downwind, obviously. Uh, you can't get too close. You can't, you can't go in there touching stuff and, uh, you know, rubbing tree po you know, if you squat, you know, bend over and looking at the ground or whatever, and then grabbing a tree trunk close by to pull yourself up. You can't do all that stuff. I mean, you, you've got to be really meticulous about, uh, what, what you're doing with your scent. And the, the other thing is if a scrape goes cold, um, find another one. That, that's what happened with yeah. me is I was actually hunting. I was hunting a massive scrape, um, that was being checked frequently. And, uh, like in the, the week prior, I, I was on a big scrape and, uh, there were, there were deer that were hitting it consistently. And, uh, and I was like, okay, this is, this spot's going to be money. Well, it shut down for like two days or three days. I didn't hardly have a deer come through. And, uh, and I was like, okay, something they've, they've moved on, you mm-hmm. know, um, they've, they've either bred the does that are in this area or the does in this area aren't ready to be bred. So they've moved on looking for other does. Yeah. And, uh, cause that's, that's the whole purpose of it. They're looking for does. And, uh, and so when it, when it shut down, I moved on. And, uh, and people have a tendency to, like I said earlier, they'll, they'll want to tie themselves to a, yeah, to a they just spot. get stuck, <laughs> stuck in a spot. And that's something, I mean, you, you said that you were hunting 120 yards from where you ended up killing that deer. And, um, that's something that I, I think I hear people say that 200 acres or 300 acres isn't, isn't enough for more than two people to hunt or more than, you know, one person to hunt or something like that. When you're bow hunting, you're hunting 50 yards at a time. And yeah, a lot it, of times. And so, you know, if you think about how they block off the Gulf of Mexico, the, the Gulf of Mexico is obviously massive, but it's sectioned into blocks, right? And that's, you know, all the rigs have have their uh, their block that they're in or the area that they're in and blah, blah, blah. The, you, you're not in the whole Gulf of Mexico. You're in your block on your rig. That's your deer stand pretty much. And when you are in a tree in the woods, you're not hunting a hundred acres. You're hunting one acre that's inside of a hundred acres. And it's, you know, it, that's different if you're hunting a field edge. That's different if you're hunting a pipeline. That's those, you know, with a rifle, that's a different situation. But it's incredible to me how you can have a totally different experience in the woods 100 yards away from where your stand is set. And, Absolutely. And that's been proven to me time and time again. And that's the reason why I'm like you and I, we're, we're mobile hunters because it's effective. And I don't want to have a lock on that's stuck in a tree for years and years and years that when the deer come within 100 yards of that, their guards way up because they kind of know this is the kill zone. Right. I want to I want to be in the spot where, you know, I'm I'm hanging a stand in the evening. The first time I find, like you said, an overcup uh, oak tree dropping and is been eaten on because that's, you know, like Warren Womack said back on uh, our episode with him, your best chance of killing something is the first time you ever hunt an area. Period. Yeah. Not the first time you go there. Not go there, scout, walk around, lay some bright eyes in the trees, and come back three weeks later. No, hunt it now, then, you know. 
And if you can't yeah. hunt it, then hunt it as soon as you can while it's still hot. Because there's a lot of times that these, you know, overcup acorns and and uh, and white oaks and cow oaks and things like that, they might only be hot for seven to ten days, and then they turn off, and you won't have a deer under that tree the rest of the year. You know. Yeah, and a lot of it, like another another tree, you know, a hundred yards away, seventy five, two hundred yards away, might all of a sudden start dropping and it might have a better for whatever reason a better flavor better yeah. nutritional value better whatever that the deer like more yeah and man. so they'll hit that next one until the next best thing starts falling yeah and uh well like so, like, and a- that, like with the scrape situation man it was a uh, literally i found the scrape that morning picked my tree i wanted to be in and backed out i went back in that same afternoon climbed the tree like i didn't look around I, I, when i walked back in I sprayed active scrape in both of the scrapes that I had to walk by, and then I climbed the tree. Yeah. That's all I did. Like, it was just literally, I'd I'd been in there no time. Yeah. Uh, You know, I didn't spend a lot of time looking around. Um, You know, I found the spots, figured out where, and that was was kind of a special situation because it was, it was one of those deals of where I didn't have to figure it out. It was kind of obvious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some situations where, you know, I've walked into and I will sit there and feel like I'm walking in circles for two hours trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And uh, th- those, I mean, it's that's a bad thing. Like, you, we, we can say a lot of stuff, but, and I realize a lot of it's blanket statements and every situation is slightly different. But, um, you know, what what we're saying is stuff that, can be broken down and applied, um, you know, over and over and over. Yeah. Um, Any, so anywhere, anytime you go in, like what you said a minute ago, when you go hunt, like say you pick whatever WMA you want to go hunt, it's big block of public land, whether it's, you know, 300 acre, small little block or 32,000 acre public land, you can't go in there think, I mean, cause it gets overwhelming. You can't go in there thinking, well, I've got 32,000 acres to hunt. Yeah. No, you go in, you find a specific area and you figure out that area. And a lot of times all you're doing, all you're doing is figuring out where the deer aren't. Yeah. And, you're uh, looking for things so to I, dismiss. Yeah. And so, and, and a lot, a lot of times, and I've always said this, it, it normally takes about two seasons to really figure out, uh, uh, how deer use a property. Um, you know, like the, the properties I've been in this year, it's all been new. Uh, and it, it's, uh, taken me a little bit to figure out. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it, but it's taken me a little bit to figure out what the deer are doing on the property. Um, cause they're moving, you know, every couple of weeks, it seems like they're, they're doing something slightly different. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I would, I would like to think that, you know, two years from now, I'll be able to just not have to scout much. You just go in depending on what time of year and just kind of know where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and I think I've read before that, um, and obviously this is another kind of blanket statement, but it gives you an idea like, and I forget, I forget the actual acreages that were used, but it's big, big picture. Uh, deer only tend to use about, it's like 15 or 20% of the property that's there. Yeah, absolutely. And you just got to figure out what 15 to 20% it is. So you might have 100 acres and they're only using like five five acres or, or you know, 15 acres of it. And uh, and you've, you've got to figure out what areas those are. 
All right, so let's uh, we we learn a little bit about mock scrapes and and uh, I do I want to do something with you on a future podcast on calling um, and maybe go like an in depth lesson on calling and rattling and and scrapes and any other types of um, you could say communication if you will um, right but uh, that'll be for another time but let's let's uh, let's start to wrap this up tell us a story about your hunt yesterday evening and how. You killed 97 hogs in three minutes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you there? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, the, the kind of cut out for a second. Uh, yeah, yesterday was, was interesting. Uh, like I said, that was that was the hunt that I climbed four trees before finally deciding to sit on the, the fifth one. Um, and so I had a... Uh, I had a spike come in, uh, had him at 15 yards. Well, he left, you know, that was, that was pretty much my hunt. Well, I leave and on my way out, I was going to go check a couple of cameras, you know, on my way out back to my, to my truck. And so I'm walking out and I'm, I'm down checking a camera. I, I, I was actually moving it. And all of a sudden I hear this like crazy racket, uh, something, I, it sounded like hogs, but I wasn't sure cause it was a different noise of what I've heard. Uh, it was just weird. Uh, I was like, what in the world? So, uh, I grabbed my bow and it was, it was immediately followed with that deep guttural, like grizzly bear growl that a big boar will do. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not, but yeah. it's kind of in, intense and intimidating if you're not used to it. Yeah. Uh, but it was like all this like crazy, right? It almost sounded like, you know, giant raccoons fighting, you know, how they'll get start making all kinds of racket and uh but then it was followed by this oh you know this crazy growl and i'm like all right that's pigs so i grab my bow and i start slipping in there and this was you know after dark i uh, just had a flashlight and so i'm i'm slipping in trying to figure out what what they're doing like what kind of they're not far from me so i go in and uh i'm shining you know looking around my, with my light and I see some hogs moving. It's a, it's a small group of pigs moving through, and there was a really big boar at the back of the herd. And uh, and so I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to try to slip in, and if I can put an arrow in uh, this pig or any of them, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make it happen. So I start walking up. And at night, hogs are ignorant. I mean, they, they don't pay hardly any attention to, to lights or anything. And uh, so I, I walk up with just my my regular flashlight, um, my my headlamp, and uh, no, I'm sorry, I, ha- I actually had a handheld light. And uh, so I'm walking. Up, I walk up to them, and these two big boar get in a fight. Like I don't know, 20, 25 yards in front of me, and they're they're in like a, a big fight, spinning around, and uh, you know, ho- having their mouths open, and they're they're rattling at each other uh that's the only way i know how to describe it it's just this guttural like rattling sound almost like sounding sounded like somebody's rattling a can of spray paint except mm. it's like harsh uh, and just this crazy noise and i'm like man check. it was cool i mean it was kind of intimidating because i'm standing there with a longbow on the ground with these guys and uh like i said and they're they're pushing 200 pounds um and there was a whole bunch of other pigs back behind them that i could see moving but these were the two i was focused on so i slip up and i'm trying to get a clear shot you know i'm in range but i'm trying to get a clear shot so i walk up and i'm my my light's moving around and they're not paying any attention to me well i catch some movement in the background and i'm like what and it was like this really really tall pig and i was like good night what is that when i shine my light over there i realized it is a boar in the process of breeding a sow and, oh, uh, and i was like what in the world and uh, so I, my 
my attention immediately left the fighting hogs, and I was I was fixing to kill the one that was in the process of producing more pigs. And uh, so I dropped my flashlight on the on the ground on a thing of pine needles, and I some I propped it up on the ground to where I could see this pig. And I shot him. He was quartered away, standing on his hind legs, and I shot him. And uh, well, the group, you know, he he jumped off over, and they they scattered and uh they they only went like 40 50 yards and started feeding like they went right that was just like they didn't know what was going on so they just went right back to feeding and doing their thing so i picked up my light and i slipped up grabbed my arrow uh put it back in my quiver i pulled out another arrow uh walked over and i could see the boar i shot he was standing there hunched up and you know blood coming out of the side of him and he goes over and he lays down against a tree and there was a sow standing right beside him feeding. And I was like, well, I know he's going to die. I'm not going to shoot him again. I'm fixing to shoot the, shoot a sow and try to kill more than one pig. So I walked over. I laid my light down, propped it up. I shot her. Well, she squalls and takes off running, and the whole herd takes off. And uh, and they run about 50 yards or so, and then they stop. And, uh, and I'm like, what in the world? And, uh, and then the, the boar I shot, you know, the first time, he gets up kind of starts walking off. And uh, I could tell he's he's about to go down any minute. And uh, so I s- slip up in there. I could still kind of see him moving up in the brush with my light. And, uh, well, then I start hearing that noise again, like the two like two more boars had gotten in a fight. Well, when I slip up in there, man, there was another boar up on his hind legs breeding the sow. And hmm. I was like, are you kidding me? Like this, it was, it was the... It was crazy, and um, so anyway, I slip up and I shot that boar uh, off the off the top of that sow. And that time, they decided they probably better keep on going. So uh, after I shot him, he crashes off, and uh, the whole herd, you know, or sounder, they they keep on going. And uh, so I start I start tracking these pigs, and it was I probably should have just backed off and let them run and die, do their thing. But at night, like I said, they don't run real far. And uh, I've done this before, and I'll try to slip in and get another error in them uh, just to make sure. Because they were rush shots. I mean, it sounds like I took my time, but uh, they were rush shots. I mean, because I, I don't know how long pigs stand there and breed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know if it was going to be like a, a quick deal or if they were going to be there a minute. That's so uh, so I, I kind of rushed my shot on, on both of them and, uh, just because I wanted to get an error in them. And uh, – because I mean, there, there was a bunch of there was a bunch of piglets scattered around. And there was guarantee there was 18, 18 hogs in that group, and uh, so they they kind of went on. Well, I find the trail that the board run off on because that one I found my my arrow from the second sow. It was coated in blood. The the third pig I shot, the arrow actually stayed in the pig, and I have reflective wraps on the end of my arrow. So I slipped in the brush and. Uh, when I got up in there, I jumped the pig about 20 yards away up in all this thicket and I could see my reflective rat moving through the brush. You could tell that pig was hurt bad. And, uh, man, I get in there, I get 20 yards from this pig and I'm trying to find a hole where I can actually get another arrow into him. And my hit, my lights die on me. Like Mm. I'm, I'm right there in the brush with this 200 pound pig that has an arrow stuck in it and my lights die. Mm. And, uh, I'm like, are you kidding? So I had to. I had to come out, uh, you know, get back to the house, get new batteries. And by the time I got back in there, it was a good bit later. And uh, he had, I, had tra- I was able to trail him another, I don't know, um, 40, 50 yards or so. And so he was ob- obviously, he was standing on his hind legs. 
uh, I shot him quartering away into his back. And so when he actually dropped and was standing normal, uh, the arrow was sticking straight out of his back, still in him. So, I mean, I have a super high entry wound and the arrow is still sticking out of it. So, I mean, there's not much of a blood trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that like the whole chest, the whole cavity is going to have to fill up before it actually starts bleeding out of the top of this pig. And, uh, so I'm, I'm going along on, on what little bit of blood I had and it gets into a spot that the hogs had come in and rooted. And it was essentially, it looked like a freshly plowed food plot. It was just dirt. And man, when you have, when you have good blood, it's hard to see it on dirt, much less, uh, wheat blood, like what I was on. And I lost him and, uh, I backed out and sim- similar situation. I-, I-, I found the trail that the sow was on and, uh, and I start following her and there's like bubbly blood, like lung blood. I know I put her, put it through her chest. And like I said, that arrow was soaked in blood and I get up into this, you know, thicket where I'm basically crawling on my hands and knees following blood. And, uh, man, I just lost it. I don't know whether she turned hard uh, or, or, and I, and I missed cause she's right there at the end. She started like almost making 90 degree turns. And I know they start doing really erratic stuff right before they die. Mm-hmm. Um, and she started making like really, really hard turns in that brush. And it was, it was difficult for me to stay on the track. Uh, cause my, I, I still didn't have good lights. And, uh, anyway, I, I, I looked and looked and looked and I never, I didn't, I never found her. I found my first one. Uh, I mean, the first one that I shot, you know, he didn't go, he didn't go 60, 70 or well, I guess 80 yards from the first point I shot him. Um, he went about maybe 80 yards and then he, you know, he died. But unfortunately I didn't recover the other two. I'm actually, uh, and then it poured down rain last night, uh, up here. So, uh, I'm actually going to go back out, uh, here in just a little while, uh, if nothing else to recover my arrow. Yeah. Um, and figure out where they died because I don't want them dying near where I, I deer hunt. So yeah, man. <laughs> well, uh, let's let's wrap it up. You go look for your hogs. We've got some uh, you know some great early season updates from you. We appreciate it. Uh, you sharing everything. What what do you think? Um, what do you think the timing of the rut's going to be uh, like up in your area and area two this year? Um, I am a good bit further north than where. Like I said, this has been all new property it's a completely new area i've i've made a point this year not to hunt any of my old places um and it's just kind of a personal deal uh i have been told before that you know uh you know people people like to talk and basically i just wanted to prove a point that you can kill mature deer anywhere it doesn't matter whether it's property that you've had forever the grass is always greener and people always like to run their mouths so i started hunting this year completely new property some of it's public some of it's uh property that i've been given permission to hunt um you know and so it's it's new to me um but it's a lot further away from the old property that i I typically hunt where i typically hunt the rut normally kind of starts kicking in at the end you know about the second week of november uh things start really getting fired up and it's wide open all the way through the first week of december Mm -hmm. um you know you start getting a lot of activity um up here uh where where i'm at it's it's a little bit further north and it's been uh man it's it's kind of surprised me. It's earlier up here than what I'm used to. Um, like I've, I've been getting videos of bucks, you know, harassing does. I've actually watched bucks harass does, uh, you know, young bucks, um, which is kind of normal, but it just, it seems a little bit more intense. So I, I really think that 
uh, I, I would probably even, I guess kind of as a whole, uh, I would probably say, you know, second week of November, uh, into second week of November, it's going to be wide open. Nice. Uh, up here. So it's been, like I said, they're, they're starting, they're starting a little early. Um, and I always kind of like catching them early on, uh, cause they're, the bucks are they're They hadn't necessarily found those. So they're moving a good bit. Um, and, and they're kind of getting into the routine and figuring out their area. So, uh, they're, they're moving a lot. So, uh, That's I, right. I like catching them in the pre-rut right around the corner, man. So yeah, I, I we're know, right here on it. I know you'll be right in there with them right when, uh, when it's kicking off. So. I'm gonna try to be, man. It's uh one of those deals. I, like I said, I think me and you've discussed it. Just a matter of you know being mobile, trying to stay where they are. Uh, yesterday, I think put me in the 16th tree that I've been in uh, all season. So by the time October was even over, um, I'd already been in 14 trees in the first month of bow season. So mm-hmm. um, just to kind of give you an idea of how mobile I've been, and so. Uh, I, I think it's going, I got, I got one buck tag left and, uh, I'm, I'm looking for a, obviously a good one. So there you go, man. <laughs> well, look, I appreciate you coming on today and, uh, this is going to be, um, an episode for, uh, to be released on Monday, November 5th, um, which will right now when we're talking is tomorrow, but, um, we'll uh we'll get this information out for people and hopefully some uh some some of our listeners can start using these tactics immediately um especially for some that are uh, right around the corner from the rut kicking off you know so um but for sure man i appreciate you coming on the show is there anything else that you uh that you want to cover before we uh before we hop off of here no uh i don't think so other than you know just letting folks know you know it's just if you if you can learn if you can learn deer behavior and figure out what they're doing and stay with them when they move you can find mature deer regardless of where you're hunting mm-hmm. um, it's just a matter of, of learning deer behavior and uh it's it's a lot more fun hunting it's frustrating but it's more fun <laughs> yeah and more rewarding yeah absolutely well look man i appreciate it let's uh let's catch up soon and we'll uh we'll we'll do this again soon all right sounds good man all right, thanks, I appreciate Harmon. it. Yeah, no problem. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you've got anyone you want to hear on the podcast, send us an email at info at louisianabowhunter.com or give us some feedback on our new Facebook group called Louisiana Bowhunter Community. We'd love to hear some feedback about the episodes, what you like and dislike about it, and also what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. A huge shout-out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Cousin Smokehouse and Steve German's Taxidermy Art. We could not put this on without you, so thank you so much for your support. We'll see you all next week.